You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 65, brought to you by Vessi Seeds and Safer's Gardening Products. Well, folks, uh, we've got the band back together. <laughs> After a long hiatus of one episode, we've got the band back together of myself and Canadian author, blogger, YouTuber, teacher, guru, speaker of truth, Robert Pavlis, author of Garden Myths and Building Natural Ponds, uh, available at... Uh, fine online bookstores well mostly amazon is there any other place you can get those robert uh amazon's the best place. amazon's the place to go yeah where else would one go and how are you doing robert very good thanks for that great introduction <laughs> <laughs> and how is your uh remember this is this the uh this podcast is all about the food uh robert so how let's have a quick conversation about the food uh what are you, are you getting anything out of your garden? Are you getting any food out of your garden so far? It's, uh, what is it, July? It's June June 27th, uh, 2018 right now. Yeah, things are a little slow. My uh, um, uh, peas are forming, and uh, they should start picking those any day now. Really? Uh, tomatoes, pretty much all the plants have flowers on them. Wow. So I'm pretty happy about that. They, tomatoes actually look good this year. Uh, the beans are starting to grow. Um, they, uh, it's funny, the, the beans always get chewed up as little seedlings and I always think they're going to die, but then they start growing like crazy and they just overcome the bugs somehow. Is that like slugs or, or flea beetles or something knocks them back? I'm not sure what eats them, but you know, it just, they get lots of little holes in the leaves and bites here and there. Um, but I think the, once they get a good root system, they can just grow faster than the bugs can eat them. I don't think it's slugs because I don't have a lot of slugs out in the vegetable garden. Well, yeah, if it's tiny holes, it's most likely flea beetle. It looks like a tiny shotgun was taken to them. Um, yeah, it's, it, I think it's a com- it's probably a combination of things. There's almost everything likes to eat a bean plant. Yes, so, <laughs> especially so there's all, me. There's all kinds of things out there that will nibble on the leaves. Yes, but uh, uh, it's it's coming along. That's interesting. Like my. My tomatoes, uh, we had all these crazy frosts in in June, so uh, I had tomatoes die, and then I bought transplants and put them in, and those died, and I put some more in about a week and a half ago, and they almost died uh, last night. We had a, or a couple nights ago there, we had a bizarre, super cold north wind. I mean, if you were outside, it smelled, I don't know if you're aware of that, but there's this... I've always found when the snow hits the ground, like the first snow you get in, let's say, November or December, there's a smell in the air, this sort of winter snow smell. And yeah. it smelled yeah. like that a couple nights ago. It smelled like it was going to snow. And apparently there was a, a risk of or a, a high chance of snow in certain parts of the province here in Newfoundland. Uh, and I think it got down to six or seven degrees Celsius here. I mean, this is a couple of days, a week after the summer solstice. I mean, it's just... Uh, crazy um well i seen some pictures from someone in newfoundland and uh everything was snow covered yeah i mean they they had tulips out and the ground was covered in snow and the snow was on the tulips and um it was crazy that's that's only a couple days ago yeah it's just i mean i know people say uh the first new moon in june and it's it's a good rule of thumb but i mean this is this is unheard of for me it's very very it's very it's a very uh, it's been a very cold uh, spring. Been a, and then you'll have the odd day where it's uh, abnormally warm. 
warmer than you have ever experienced before and then colder than you have ever experienced before. So we just, uh, we just had a couple of days of highs of under 20 and Saturday it's supposed to be 34 here. Oh my god, I'm coming your way. Uh, <laughs> what is it? Uh, on Saturday I'm flying to Toronto uh, for about I'll be there for about 3 days and then I'm going to Cuba for a week. Um, yeah. so I'm going from hot to hot to super hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's going to be hotter here than Cuba on the weekend. So. I know, Southern Ontario is like the surface of the sun. It's ridiculously hot in the summer. I can't, you know, I go there, my wife's, my wife's mother lives there, and I can't get over how hot it is there. It's ridiculous. Yeah. We certainly don't have that situation here. <laughs> We've got the, the North Atlantic just uh, uh, mucking things up like you wouldn't believe. Um, all right, so... Uh, for those of you that uh, haven't listened into the episodes before, uh, Robert Pavlis has written a, a couple of books, and you're you're working on a third book, right? Well, I'm going to start working on a, a second Garden Myths. Uh, Garden Myths two uh, or whatever. Yeah, I'll probably start in September and get it out for Christmas. That's imp I don't know how to do that. That's a whole nother. We could do a whole episode episode for budding authors on uh, how on earth Robert Pavlis can write a book in a in three or four months that's that's an impressive skill you've got there um, well you got to publish it too in those three months so yeah I well know. the first one I uh, I started I think around the first of October I had the first copy in my hands by January 15 that's incredible um, so maybe we should do a, pro uh, a program on uh, self-publishing books sometime. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know if it would be interesting or a typical audience, but for anyone who's tried to write a book, and, uh, you know, I've been trying to write a garden book since I started doing uh, this podcast, and uh, holy smokes, I, and I write for a living. I have a government job where I write stuff all day. <laughs> so you think, uh, but it's, it's uh, anyway, it's getting off on a tangent here. So, Robert Bodebrook, uh, when did you write this book, uh, Building Natural Ponds? Um, about a year and a half ago. Okay, and you have a natural pond in your backyard. I do, yes. Okay, so um, why don't you tell us uh, how you got involved in this 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 whole thing about uh, building natural ponds? How did you get involved in this? So about uh, eleven years ago, I wanted to build a pond uh, that was farther from the house. And I didn't want to use any electricity. I wanted it's in a very natural area. It's surrounded by woods, and I just wanted a you know a natural pond, no electricity, no farting around, just easy system. Yeah. And everything I read said a system won't work like that if you have a liner in the pond. As soon as you put in a liner, you need a pump, you need a filter, you know, you need to test your water and so on. And uh, but everything I knew about natural ponds like native ponds told me that it should work i mean just because you have a liner uh it doesn't mean that the pond shouldn't function on its own so i went ahead and, and did one anyways even though everybody told me it wouldn't work right and uh sounds, was, sounds like a great way to start anything yeah, <laughs> you're my kind worked, of guy <laughs> it worked beautifully um Three years into the project, uh, the water was nice and clean. I didn't have algae problems. Uh, you know, eight years into the program, same thing. In fact, eight years later, it was probably cleaner than it was after three years. 
And that's, you know, a year and a half ago, uh, I started writing some articles about it. And then a publisher approached me and said, look, we want you to write this book because there's no other book on the market about natural ponds. There's not a lot of content on it. I agree. So uh, so I wrote the book and I've, I've been an invited speaker on the subject and I've written some articles and some magazines and uh, even launched a, a Facebook group called Building Natural Ponds and we have over 3,000 members now. Wow. And uh, it's, it's actually, the timing was, was pretty good because people are trying to get away from, you know, using electricity, they're trying to get away from using chemicals. People want a more natural type of gardening, so it all fits in. And it turns out it's a really easy pond to do. So, you know, 12 years later, I look back and I say, there's people all over the world doing this now. Um, it's, it's just, you know, 12 years ago, it was a new thing. Um, but it's, it's quite easy to do. Um, so what I learned was that, you know, nature can take care of it. So my pond right now, I, I don't do anything all year long, except in winter I cut down the bulrushes uh, just to keep some of the organic matter out of the pond. Right. But I don't even scoop out the stuff in the bottom of the pond. I don't take out leaves that fall in, and I just leave it. So what are, just so people can have a sense, what is the depth and dimensions of your pond? Um, well, my pond is about... 20 by 30 feet wow. and deep part is about four feet four feet yeah but uh lots of people have smaller ponds people make quite small ponds and it, it works there too right uh, it doesn't have to be that that big now mine is lined because it's uh, at the top of a hill and my soil is quite sandy and it wouldn't hold any water at all if i didn't line it how did the how does it uh get water just rain uh mostly rain but it's not quite enough so but every fall i have to top it up i add maybe five six inches depending on the rainfall right so around here we get we get fairly good spring rain then we have a fairly dry summer and then most years we have a fairly rainy fall so um, it you know it's, it starts dropping in the summer and then hope, I'm always hopeful that the fall will fill it up but it's never quite enough around here. And uh, what kind of uh, fish and plants do you have in your garden? Or not garden pond. <laughs> pond. Well, I uh, I just grow goldfish. Yes. And uh, they breed on their own in the pond. Nice. I have lots of frogs and toads. I have a little turtle that's moved in. Um, all kinds, yeah, yeah, oh. all kinds of uh, dragonflies and and all a lot of the animals go there for drinking. Did everything but the fish just found their, found its way there. Everything except the fish. I have two species of bulrushes, or or what a lot of people call cattails. Yeah, cattail. Um, that seeded themselves. I didn't even plant those. In so fact, they just so. The, was there bull? Was there cattails and bulrushes in your area, like like adjacent, or just just no. the seeds came in in the air somehow? Well, they're not close by, right. but there are some ponds, you know, maybe a mile or two away. <laughs> That's um, fascinating. And they the first the the first summer after I built the pond, I had the first bulrushes growing. Wow! So I have no idea where they came from. 
Um, and I planted some iris uh, in the pond. Um, in fact, I planted uh, the yellow flag iris, which is fairly common. But that's a very invasive species. And uh, it's not native to Ontario. And it gets out and it will grow in the water and it will grow in the garden. And it started growing all over the place here. And I pulled it out. And I can go to some local uh, natural areas around here and they're, they're just being choked off by this yellow flag iris so I recommend people don't grow that right um, but I, I have a, some other viruses that aren't nearly as as uh, invasive right uh, I have some other a bunch of native grasses have come in like water grasses um, arrowroot and a couple of things have, have come along or, or I maybe the arrowroot I think I planted um, yeah, and that's that's pretty much it. I have a, um, water lilies, the three different kinds. Um, they're very important because it's it's the reason this pond works is because it's designed to keep the algae levels low, right? So algae algae is actually good for ponds, right. but people who have ponds don't like it, so they they want to get rid of it. Um, that's most. That's the biggest problem for most people is is how do how do you control algae? And right. algae likes two things. They they like high nutrients in the water, mm-hmm. and they like lots of sunlight. And if they get those two things, algae will grow. It'll bloom. So you need so, shade. Yeah. So the right amount of shade, I assume. Yeah. Well, putting in the water lilies covers the surface, so that yeah. cuts down the amount of light that the algae will get. We'll keep the temperature down and. And the other thing is to have lots of plants. So you need a, 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 quite a few plants that use up the nutrients so there's none left for the algae. Let me uh, ask you something. When you initially made your, uh, your pond, now I've read that you, this is something you should do. This is something I did not do with mine. Uh, and I'm, it might be the mistake I've made, and we're going to talk about my pond issues, but I've read that you should go to a pond and get a couple buckets of pond water, you know, stir it up and get some pond water from an actual uh, thriving pond ecosystem and dump that stuff into your pond. Uh, did, did you do that, Like almost like the jump start, like adding a culture or something like that? Did you do anything like that? No, and, and I actually wouldn't even recommend it. Really? Uh, because... The, the, the thing people need to understand is that the air is full of bacteria and, and fungus and algae and everything else. The minute you put water into that pond, you've got all kinds of stuff living in it. Uh, you don't need to go and get it out of another pond. I've always found it, like even my pond, like my pond's a fraction of your size. It's probably three feet by 12 and I've got skipjacks. I mean, it's it's not connected to any water system at all. It's nowhere near anything. Uh, nowhere near any natural water system. And there's skipjacks. There's one of those things called boatmen. You know, they're like a beetle that looks like yeah. a um, I've got a num- number of aquatic insects. I have no idea how they found their way there because I, I never went to a – there just isn't a pond anywhere near where I live where I can go get, you know, a bucket full of dirty pond water. Um, these things just found their way in anyway. They they move around and and you don't have to bring them. Uh, bringing some water in from another pond is is also a way you move diseases in. Right. So 
although I my feeling is that if the diseases are in the area, you're going to have them in your pond anyways. Right. <laughs> um, but no, people people even sell bacteria to put into your pond to you know to to activate them because the bacteria is important to decompose your organic matter. Right. And and that's nonsense. I mean, your hands are covered in bacteria. So as soon as you you know you're you're making it and you're putting rocks in there, they're covered in bacteria. You don't need to add purchased bacteria. The bacteria just, will take care of itself. Yeah. It's like people buying a. Uh, you know, mycorrhiza and sprinkling it all over their soil and stuff like that. I've always found that a bit nuts. Uh, yeah, as well. Yeah, we, we we don't we don't really understand how many of these bacteria are around because they're so small. We we can't see them, but you know, the the weight of a paper clip of soil. So that's about a gram. Mm -hmm. Good soil will have a billion bacteria in it. In a gram. In a gram. That's impressive. Right. Uh, so, you know, if you get a gram of soil in there, you're set for life. <laughs> so you just put, put, a half, then, put a half, sprinkle a half a teaspoon of and, soil into your pond and you're good. <laughs> and you probably have that much on your hands anyways as you're making it. So you never have to worry about that sort of thing. Well, especially uh, my pond doesn't have a bladder. So, I mean, it's, it is soil. The whole damn thing is soil. It's a soil yeah. hole. <laughs> yeah, so so we do have this discussion, uh, you know, can you have a natural pond without a liner? And, um, you know, a, a liner is, is not natural, but once it's set up and, and working, it's, it's as good as a natural pond. And the reality is that most people can't have a pond in their backyard without a liner. You just what? won't hold the water. Won't hold the well, water. I find that... With mine, like it's, uh, I built, so maybe we can move to my pond because this is a good segue to that sort of situation. Sure. So if that's okay with you. Um, I got a pond in my backyard. So how, how did I, I just thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have fish in my backyard? Wouldn't my kids love that? We could, you know, they could catch insects and, you know, we could, th you know, throw snails in there from my garden and feed them to the, <laughs> to the goldfish and stuff. So there was a spot in my backyard where um, there always seemed to be water pooling. Water would gather there. Mm -hmm. So I thought that that seems like a good place, like a natural spring, right, or a drainage point or a gathering point or whatever. But it, there's always um, a little puddle there after a rain. And it would take a – every time it rained, it would take about a week for the puddle to disappear. So I thought, well, that that's just begging to be a pond. And I've always wanted a pond. And Got lots of land, so uh, I just uh, so the first year I just dug, and I dug probably four by six and by about two feet deep, and I put some goldfish in it, um, and they survived for most of the summer. And then at some point in July, the water got low, and I went out there one morning. There was raccoon tracks everywhere, and there was no fish. <laughs> so uh, that that fall or that the next spring, I can't remember exactly when I dug it twice as big twice as deep and uh, so i made it maybe well not not twice as it's it's actually from 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 grade it's four feet deep at the deepest and uh, so now it's about three feet wide by about 12 feet wide by at the very deepest point four feet deep um and you know whenever it rains it, it fills up fairly well but you know after a couple of weeks um the water level drops um 
and uh, it never seems to run out of water, but it can get down to almost like, you know, a foot deep, and I'm sure it gets quite warm. Um, but I put goldfish, so last summer I made it as that, that, those dimensions, and uh, it, it got down low last, you know, so I made it larger last spring, and it got down low and everything died, so I made it even larger, so to the dimensions it is right now, about three feet by 12 feet by four feet deep, and I filled it up with my water hose, and I stuck some fish in it, and they were there all the way till winter, and I could see them swimming around under the ice, and they showed up in the spring, and they were alive. And then about, so it seemed to work. It's like they, they survived the winter, and these are just, uh, I don't know what kind of goldfish you have, but these are the ones that they feed to piranhas yeah. and stuff, the cheap ones, because um, I assume they're the, the sort of the toughest, and I don't know what the best goldfish is to have, but I see they're, certainly they're the cheapest um, what kind of goldfish do you have? Well, that, that's all I buy. I, I buy some what they call feeder goldfish. Feeder, feeder goldfish, yeah. Like they cost yeah. you know, 10 cents each or something. They're very cheap. Yeah. Um, so uh, they were all there and everything was doing fine. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks ago, the entire pond got covered in, in uh, like a bright green algae. And the water level dropped considerably, but there was still about a foot deep, um, maybe a tiny bit deeper in places. And maybe the deepest part might have been 16 inches, maybe. Um, and I have not seen the fish. I have not seen them for three or four weeks now. I haven't seen hide, hide no hair of them. Um, not only that, but there was a, an egg sack of polywogs or something like that. And if I, I poked it, the little things would move. And I expected to see all these polywogs. They have disappeared too. Everything that was in that uh, pond just seems to have disappeared. And uh, just before uh, I called you to do this recording, I, I was out mowing my lawn. And I thought, just for the sake of science, I've got like a little uh, net, you know, like a fish net type thing. So I, I did a few passes to see maybe if I could snag something. I didn't, no, I didn't do a you know, you know, 100% exhaustive probing of, of the pond. But I couldn't snag anything. Uh, see, but I haven't seen anything floating. You know, when those fish die, they float to the surface. There was at least 10 goldfish in there. I haven't seen a thing for about three weeks. I haven't seen this one sign of life. I haven't even seen, normally I see frogs and stuff in there. I haven't seen anything. It's like the whole thing just went down the toilet. So do you have any ideas for me, Robert? Well, uh, any kind of a pond like this is, is always a balancing act. Yes. Right? You have to um, – things like fish will survive just fine as long as they can get enough oxygen. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, it, what usually kills them is not really lack of oxygen, but too much CO2 can kill them easier than, than a lack of oxygen. What algae uh, cause that? And, and algae will compete for them. So plant life at, at night uses oxygen, right? We, we think of, of plants as giving off oxygen and using CO2. But at night, they do they do stop using CO2 because they're not photo, photosynthesizing anymore. Right. But they're still metabolizing. And when they metabolize, they're using up oxygen. I see. Um, the other thing that happens is if you have a lot of algae, it's, it's constantly dying off. So now you have a lot of dead organic matter, and that's what bacteria live on. And right. bacteria are also using oxygen. 
So if you have too much organic matter, um, too much plant material, particularly algae, that's plant material that's in the water. So we're mm -hmm. talking like algae or plants that are growing underwater. They actually compete with uh, the fish. And during the day, you can uh, have the fish fine. And then at night, the oxygen levels start dropping. And if they get too low, the fish will die. Oh. So you, there, there is this balance. The other thing that you've described is you, your pond is basically getting smaller and smaller all the time. Yes. And so the amount of algae you know, per, per cubic foot of water is actually going up. Ah, as the water is going away. Yes, that makes perfect sense. Right. The ratio. Just, yes. Yeah, the algae competes with itself as well. So, you know, if you if half half the water evaporates or seeps into the ground, you have the same amount of algae and half as much water, and now you get a whole bunch of it dying off because it can't there isn't enough oxygen or enough CO2 to to uh, support that life. Ah. Now you have a bunch more dead organic material. I tell you, you know, so perhaps if I'd been maintaining the water level with uh, just a watering hose or something like that, it may, it may have mitigated that somehow. Yeah. So I, I think that's that's one part that you want to keep the level at a, at a certain, you know, when you keep the level up. And this is one of the problems with ponds without a liner is that no matter how good your clay is, uh, there's always some seepage. Yeah, of course. And it's always running away at the bottom. And, of course, you have evaporation. Yeah. I mean, that, my pond levels go down because of evaporation. Yes. But in, a, in a pond without a liner, you've got two things going on. You're losing it into the air and you're losing it into the ground. And so it, it tends to run away faster. So right? I had an idea for a solution to this. I have not acted on this idea. Um, I'm going to run this by you. Um, I thought of... You know, I have a dedicated water hose. I, I don't have to water my garden a lot once the plants are a certain height and I've got a good mulch around them. But certainly in uh, in uh, May and June, I've got different kinds of seedlings and I have to have a watering hose hooked up. And it's it's aggravating to turn it on and turn it off all the time. So I've just got it turned on all the time. And I'm, I live in perpetual fear of the hose getting hot and the thing just blowing. And uh, I live on a well, so I've always got this fear of coming home and... We have no water. Our well just emptied out. And I got this idea of hooking up a pressure valve. Uh, I've, I've looked up. You can buy these things like a pressure valve that you hook up to your hose that has a, a pressure release. So yeah. when the hose, when the sun's on a hot day, which is the day when you're going to have the most evaporation anyway, on a hot day, the sun beats down on the hose, raises the internal the PSI in the hose, and, you know, once it hits a certain uh, pressure, it, it just releases and you have that set up so it'll bleed off into your pond. Yeah. And that way, every time you've got a sunny day, if you've got that hose turned on, uh, A, you, your risk of your hose blowing up, I'm sure there's people that have experienced that, goes away because you've got that valve. And B, anyway, this is something I planned to do this year, but uh, like many good plans, uh, good intentions, it didn't happen. Have you ever yeah. heard of anything like that? Uh, well, I haven't heard someone do that, but that certainly would work. Uh, the pressure relief valves are fairly common. Mm -hmm. uh, what some people do is they put in a float valve in the pond. So once the level goes below a certain level, the float valve comes on and, and automatically fills it. Oh, like a toilet. Like a, like a toilet. 
I was going to say, just like a toilet. Yeah, yeah. And so that's fairly common in ponds to keep a, a certain level going too. That's simple. That's, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, particularly if you have a hose that's on anyway, all the time anyways. Um, you could even rig that up using some uh, redneck technology, I'm sure. <laughs> I could just... Yeah. My, I, I, my, my mind is racing right now <laughs> thinking of how I could figure that out with some styrofoam <laughs> and some bailing wire. <laughs> um, I keep my hose on, on all the time too, but a, a good part of it is um, underground. Right, yeah, so, half, a half of mine is as well. Yeah, and so um, the whatever's underground stays cooler. That's right. And I think there's less chance of them blowing. But it is a, a real problem for most gardeners who just have a hose coming out and, and going to a garden, and it happens quite a lot. You know, you, you don't turn it off, and the next day it's, it's, it's popped a hole in it. Yeah, you go to take a shower in the morning, and you go to make your coffee in the morning at 5.30 in the morning, and there's no water. Or the water's all, uh, you know, brown and no good because you're, you know, sucking the dregs out of your well sort of thing. Not yeah. good. Yeah. So the other thing you didn't mention in your pond was actually plants. And um, the, I don't the, have any. Uh, actually, that that is a uh, something that's missing. I don't have any lilies or sort of any. You know, I've got, I've got things, all kinds of stuff surrounding the pond, but I don't know that there's anything actually growing out of the pond that's uh, any aquatic uh, plant life in the pond. And because it. For, for these ponds to work, it's it's critical they're there because they keep the nutrient levels low. And that keeps the algae from growing. Oh, because they're, they're taking it up. And it, it turns out algae needs more food than plants. So if the, food, if the nutrient levels drop to a low level, algae stops growing, but plants keep growing. That's a really good point. So how do you... Um get these uh, aquatic plants going in your garden other than just going to some pond somewhere in a canoe and scooping them up. <laughs> How do you get well, that going? You can go to a nursery and, and buy expensive plants. <laughs> no way. <laughs> or, uh, or you can just harvest them from a pond. Uh, my my whitewater lily uh, grows all over here, so it's, it's a very common native one, and that's where I got my first water lily. You just, like, grab them? Yeah, yeah. I, I've collected uh, marsh marigolds, which grow in pretty much every ditch around here. So, you know, you don't have to worry about harvesting them. I just brought a few of those home. So I have a, a secondary. My waterfall has a pond in it, too, and it's full of mar marsh marigolds, um, which are very easy to grow. Um, you know, bulrushes are easy to get. Um, I, I like to go... I, I generally suggest people go with whatever's growing natively. Yeah, because it's going to handle your climate and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, because the stuff you get in the nursery, some of it is is not hardy. Uh, some yeah. of it's tropical. Um, some of it's invasive, like the yellow flag iris and so on. Right. Um, so it's it's always good to get something that that's local. Yeah, it's gonna, uh, probably going to be a little more foolproof, you know, because it's just you know uh, adapted to the climate where you are yeah but I'd get some certainly some water lilies they they look great in the, the pond miner just flowering all over the place right now um, they flower most of the summer um, 
and get some some plants in there and that will tend to keep the algae levels down and uh, if you don't have the algae then you won't have these algae plumes either that's you know what i think that might be the the missing link there i mean i'm, I'm sure going a little bit wider and a little bit deeper couldn't hurt either but um maybe uh oh in early september when uh the mosquitoes aren't so bad i can have another digging session and and pickaxing session and so on and so forth and uh you know give it another go uh, i think that's something uh that a lot of gardeners or anyone that likes to try to improve their property in various ways that you know one thing i like to try to talk about all the time in, in my content is that you know if something doesn't work don't uh, just just come at it some other way, you know, like it, just try it some other way and try it and read some more and listen to this guy Listen to that guy try this and try that and uh, If you keep at it if you're persistent, I mean, I, I can't think of one one quality. That's 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 more uh, Important for uh, any kind of gardener. I don't care what you're trying to grow persistence is, uh, is So important because just because something doesn't work because you tried it one way Doesn't mean it can't work yeah. Um, Definitely. Okay, so we got two other things we're going to talk about here. Um, um, well, we've got, we were going to talk about uh, pond plants. We've, we've talked a little bit about that. And fertilizing. Do you, do you need to fertilize the plants in your pond? Well, so the, the traditional way of putting plants into your pond is you, you pot them up in soil, and then you stick some fertilizer in that soil, and then you stick it in the pond. Okay. And uh, to me, that doesn't make any sense because, um, first of all, in my ponds, I, I don't want soil in there because soil has nutrients in it, and I'm trying to keep the nutrients low. Right. So the algae doesn't grow. And I don't need to fertilize my plants because, again, I'm trying to keep the nutrients low. I want the plants to use up the nutrients in the water. I don't want to feed them. Right. So what I what I do is I've, I've got my pond set up so I have planting shelves around the outside which have small stones, sort of, you know, inch, inch, two inch size. And I just pop the plants right into those stones. So no pot, no soil, just right in the stones. I see. In your case, you can plant them right in the soil. So yours is a little different. Right. Um, but the idea of fertilizing your plants all that does is add more nutrients to the water and everything you do with a pond you should be reducing the amount of nutrients the fertilizer would just increase the risk of an algae bloom that's right you're just right. feeding algae so it kind of defeats the purpose yes that makes uh -huh. a lot of sense you're making so, a lot of sense here um yeah so that's that's one critical thing so i i mean you you it's amazing you can take a plant i i literally you know, if I'm doing an iris, I'll set the iris on some stones that are submersed, put a stone on top so it doesn't float away, and you come back in three months and, and that thing has roots everywhere. You can hardly pull it out. Really? It doesn't, doesn't need a pot. It doesn't need soil. Um, well, and those so things, I mean, they, they did, no one's potting them up in nature. <laughs> well, not that I've seen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Right. Uh, of course, in nature, they, those plants usually root in the soil, mm -hmm. right? So they get their nutrients that way. But 
And an artificial system, uh, we, we got to keep those nutrients out of there. I'm not, tra- you know, it's different than, a say, a vegetable garden where you want your plants to grow fast and make lots of food. In a pond, I'd rather them grow slow, but I want them to use up all the nutrients. You want them to completely tax the system from a nutrient point of view. That's right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing we were going to talk about was keeping fish healthy. Uh, yes. over, over the winter, like how do you ensure that your fish, I mean, I don't know how mine made it over the winter because the water was only about two feet deep and, you know, I don't really understand. You know, when, when, the, when the pond thawed out, I fished about three uh, dead goldfish that had been dead a while out of there, but the other ones I could see them moving around. Um, but I don't know how that, I have no idea how I had any success there at all, and I, I think they're all dead now. So, <laughs> so please enlighten us, Robert. <laughs> Well, the the concern most people have about fish is that the cold is going to kill them. And uh, particularly goldfish will, will never be killed by the cold. Really? So they just go into hibernation. They, they stop moving. Um, around here by October, November, they pretty much stopped eating. And they'll just, they'll just literally float in the water until it warms up. Really? I, I always thought they like burrowed down and found a little cave in the mud or something. You mean they just they just go into a stasis in 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 suspension in the water? Yep. Really? Fro- frogs will burrow into the mud, but the fish won't. They they just basically sit there and float. <laughs> That's okay. interesting. I didn't know that. And uh, the other thing uh, I think people don't really understand is that that water only goes down to zero degrees centigrade right well it, it can't water can't get any colder can't be water if it's colder than that that's right that's so right. even you know when we have a, a a minus 30 day out here and the wind's blowing like crazy the water is still zero degrees if it's so, that's right yeah yeah right so the cold we're experiencing the fish never experience and uh and they're always going to be where the ice is not well, what happens is that as the temperature starts dropping, uh, an ice sheet forms on the pond. Mm-hmm. And uh, as that ice sheet forms, it actually acts as an insulating blanket and tends to keep the water from freezing. Now, the colder it gets, the thicker the ice gets and the more insulative it becomes. That's right. Right, but, right, right. But there's always heat coming from the bottom of the pond going into the water. Right, right from the from the earth sort of thing from the earth that's right I see so and the thicker the ice gets the slower it actually forms so most ponds I, I I'd like to know exactly how thick the ice is around here um, I seen a report years ago and I just can't find it again but in a in a zone 5 type climate you know Chicago and southern Ontario sort of areas uh, we think of this ice as being really thick, but in fact, it it isn't. And I'm guessing it rarely gets more than about six inches thick. Mm, right. Yeah, I, I have a friend with a pond that's two feet deep, and his fish are fine every winter. I would say that my water was probably about that. And i, I got to say, in the dead of winter, probably February or, or early March, I was out there with my kids, and I took an ice auger. I said, let's, let's see what's going on in there, kids. 
So I took an ice auger, you know, like people, you know, people, the thing people use for uh, ice fishing. I, I, I got a, you know, I think it makes about a, a five inch hole. So I took an ice auger to my pond and made this hole. And all this water came out of the hole. And about three goldfish just came out onto the ice and were flopping around. It's like, what the hell are you guys doing out here? Get back in the hole. <laughs> no, I don't, those are probably the three dead ones. That was probably enough to finish them. I don't know. Um, so how thick was the ice when you, like, you did the hole? Like you said, about it was about six inches, five or six yeah. inches. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's a lot thinner than we, we think. So, so as long as the pond doesn't freeze all the way through to the bottom – um, in theory, the, the fish will be fine. Yeah, I mean, it was the ice was. I did a video just because you have viewers all over the world on my YouTube channel, and and you want the people in cold places to understand that where you are isn't like North Carolina. So I did a video where I I jumped onto the ice, like, hey, hello, it's Greg Otten here. <laughs> so I jumped on. You know, obviously, if I can, you know, if all 215 pounds of me can jump onto the ice, it's it's reasonably. It's got to be at least three or four inches thick, sort of thing. Um, yeah, but there is a catch here, and that is as, as soon as the ice forms on top of the pond, you no longer have gases exchanging with the air. Right. So there are two things going on inside the pond. The, the, the fish are, are producing CO2 and using up oxygen. Mm -hmm. And more importantly is that there's organic matter in there that's decaying. And it's using and, up oxygen. And, and the bacteria use up oxygen and, and produce CO2. And uh, the decaying matter, uh, as, as the oxygen levels drop, they, they, there's other bacteria deep in the pond that actually produce so, things like sulfur, hydrogen sulfide and so on, which are toxic to fish. So over a period of time, the CO2 level starts climbing. And with the ice layer on there, there's no way to get the CO2 out of the water and so fish can die essentially from suffocation. Is, is that more of a risk when you have a bladder as opposed to, you know, like if, if you don't have a bladder, uh, you know, there's, there's a degree of porosity in the bottom of the pond because it's, it's not tight. Um, yeah. Is it possible that there could be some sort of air exchange with the soil? Um. It's possible. I, I don't know. I've never thought about that. Right. Um, that that might help a bit. Um, but the other the other trick is to keep a hole in the ice. Uh, so what some oh. people do is they they bubble some air through it, and that will keep a hole for quite a long time. But if it gets really cold, then even that will will freeze over. And then other people put in a little bit of a heater. Uh, just just to keep a hole, all you need is a you know a six inch hole in the ice, and you'll get enough oxygen exchanging. Maybe I saved the fish's life with that ice auger. Well, uh, <laughs> you, you might have because that would open it up and and let the the gases exchange, right? Well, when you think about uh, a lake, there's always cracks and things like that. Like I mean, a lake's a huge system anyway, so I, I doubt that lakes run those risks. But a lakes do. It's not tight. There's always cracks and fissures and things like that in lakes and there's certain areas that are warm where uh you know like near near the shore sometimes there's like a, a a foot where it's melted even though the whole lake's frozen so lakes have definitely have ways to get uh, 
you know, a bit of a melt going on. Yeah. Uh, around here, what we find is, you know, we'll have a cold week and then it ices over and then we'll have a, a warmer week and the ice starts kind of breaking up a bit and it gets thinner. And then we'll have a cold week again. As long as we have those cycles, uh, the fish are fine on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I run a little uh, aquarium pump and a little bubbler just, just to keep a little more uh, air moving and a little hole in the ice. And that can make a huge difference to the fish. So how does the bubbler make a hole in the ice? Just because there's, there's air, there's positive pressure uh, underneath? Uh, the, the bubbles keep moving the water. And where we have uh, moving water, the ice doesn't form. Oh, I see. It's just like a ri- river running water. I see. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you ever you know if you have a moving water in a river or a little waterfall, you always find that the the water at the base of the waterfall is like the last thing that will freeze. Yes. Yes. It has to get really cold for a long period of time before that freezes. And so you're just moving the water, and the air bubbles keep the ice from forming. Right. Uh, at some point, it, if the cold is long enough, then what you actually you form this this dome of ice, and the thing's still bubbling away, but now it 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 just can't get out. Um, I see. Yes. Yes. So in areas say colder than zone five, it's probably good to combine the air bubbler with a, a little heater. Right. Um, but in zone five, uh, the air bubbler usually is is all you need. Right. Um, and if you're a little farther south, like a zone six, seven, even if you get ice on it for a few weeks or so, that, that's not going to make a huge difference. Um, but, of course, all of this is also based on the fact that you don't put in too many fish, right? It's, it's, right. it's a, you know, people who, for instance, people who like koi, they tend to have a very high fish population per gallon of water in their pond. And once your fish population is on the high side, then, of course, the, the CO2 builds up faster and you have a bigger problem. What would you say is a, a good ratio per, per volume? Let's, let's say per, I don't know, per gallon or per cubic yard. What would you say is a good ratio? Or of, uh, let's, let's assume we're talking about fish that are, I don't know, a typical cheapo goldfish size, like two inches long or whatever. Uh, well, those two-inch fish get will grow quick. Oh yeah, I should ask you how big are your gold? How old are your goldfish, and how big are they? Um, well, mine are, are only two or three inches because I re- replaced them. Right. Um, we actually had a really cold winter a few years ago, and I didn't have the debubbler. Ah. And it also killed off our frog populations. Oh. So I decided not to replace the fish and let the the frogs kind of. Uh, repopulate themselves and so this year I put fish back in because our frog population is back up to a reasonable level. Also was the concern if the fish were there they just eat all the pollywogs? They, they eat all the pollywogs yeah. <laughs> See. So, so I, I sort of made a choice between you know natural frogs or, or pond fish so right. yeah. Um, but typically, first of all, it's, it's, uh, the important thing is the surface area of your water, not necessarily the, the volume. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is the, the weight of the fish as opposed to the number. Uh, but a typical, a typical pond, if you're going to use goldfish, you, you sort of want one fish per square foot of surface area. I see. 
um, is is an approximate number. Okay, that's good. It's good rule of thumb. All right, so I th- you know I think you've certainly inspired me. Um, I think this you know this summer is probably uh, I mean who knows maybe there's maybe they're there underneath the scum. <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think they're probably doomed. But you certainly inspired me to uh, as soon as the weather cools off a bit. Uh, to give the uh, to give the pond another going over and uh, make a little bigger, a little deeper, and uh, and get some aquatic uh, plants going in there. I think that is going to make a bit of a difference. Well, I want to thank you uh, for joining me again, Robert. I really appreciate this, and I think it was a good conversation for anyone that's interested in this. Uh, of course, uh, if you want to learn more, you can uh, buy uh, Robert Pavlis's book. Uh, Building Natural Ponds, available on Amazon, uh, Amazon.com. And uh, you also have a, a blog, right? Or a, what's well, the we, web address for this thing? Or you know, a yeah, Facebook group. A Facebook group called Building Natural Ponds. Building Natural Ponds. And there you'll see all kinds of different ponds all in all over the world. We It's amazing where all these people are coming from. Um, and you'll see a few with pumps, but most of the... The interest is in having ponds without electricity. Well, I know, like, you know, when I started getting into permaculture, I'd watch these videos with uh, Jeff Lawton and those mm-hmm. uh, sorts of fellows, and they would they would show someone transforming a landscape, doing these earthworks type thing, and creating a pond where they've got, you know, tilapia. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I was so inspired by it. I, mean, I don't have the kind of situation here. Uh, the kind of piece of, that's a lifelong dream of mine is to get a piece of land where I can build a pond that's like large enough almost to swim in where it's like full of tilapia. I can like literally just walk in my backyard and catch something and barbecue it. Uh, <laughs> it just sounds fantastic to me. Uh, and we'll see if that ever happens. Anyway, all right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us and um, for everybody that tuned in this week. Thanks for listening and uh, until next time. Um, Get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden or pond. Robert Pavlis, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks very much. Talk to you again. Thank you.